How's it going, Odd People? You are listening to the Odd People Podcast, and I am your host, Matt the Cat. Today is episode number 14. Very special episode. I talked to Alan Moore of the Moore Family Folk Art on Instagram Live. He is out in uh, the Denver, Colorado area. Uh, It was a very exciting episode to record. Uh, I was a little nervous to be live. Um, Some of the audio is a little rough because of the um, connection back and forth with each other. But uh, I edited it the best I could. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, man. Hey, I'm Uh, back. (laughs) I just took a quick detour talked about some art stuff but yeah so um so yeah tell me yeah tell me more about um the odd people and how'd that start well so uh so like i was saying before i was really into um listening to podcasts and i was really um wanting to do it myself and i have a lot of friends and acquaintances that uh are makers or musicians, or artists of some kind, and I thought it'd be great to spotlight people that uh, take their vision and their hobby to the next level and make it into a business, or make it into just a, a passion that they have in their life. So that's yeah, that's yeah. where the idea came from. It was just, um, and the whole uh, concept of odd people is that we're really none of us are odd, but. Um, we're not the regular nine to five people. We're not the people that, uh, go home and after work and do nothing. We're we're the ones that are passionate and that want to make a, make a living and make a life, uh, full of art and, and, uh, make it meaningful for us and everybody around us. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. Well, and then you launched the uh, podcast how long ago? Uh, first episode was last August. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it hasn't even been a year yet. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. It's going you know, good like I so mentioned far. Earlier, um, I, I got I have so many people out here in Colorado that I feel like are fit the odd category, and it's not just. I mean, when you see their art or you see their business and you see what they're doing, it's it's not. It, it's I haven't seen a lot of people duplicate the things that my friends are doing out here. So it's it's nice to get a refreshing. I mean, I think in the art world, there's a lot of since the DIY Pinterest culture, there's a lot of um, copying of other people' work, other people's works, and getting yeah. ideas from other people. And I didn't grow up in that era because I'm old and grew up in the '70s and '80s <laughs> before all that stuff came around. Yeah. So um, it is actually odd and unique to find people who are not just um, taking a painting class and sipping on wine and then think they're an artist, and then it looks like everything else that's out there. And yeah. everybody has to start somewhere. But um, it's cool to find artists that it's like, wow, I've never seen that. I've never even thought of that concept. I don't even know how to deconstruct what they're doing. Yeah. You know, because we as artists, we deconstruct each other's work all the time. And even though I don't know how to make jewelry, my friends that make jewelry, I have a I kind of an idea and a concept as a, a person who works with their hands all the time. But I'm still fascinated by, you know, artists that are just using very unique materials, one of a kind type things. So just the things you can't necessarily find at Michael's or yeah. the local craft store. So yeah, absolutely. But cool. Yeah, that's, so, that's a great um, way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate you highlighting the creators out there. I think we need to, we, um, 
we need as many avenues as possible to get our kind of the word out there of what we're doing and how we're doing it. And uh, this is one of those avenues. So I appreciate it for sure. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. uh, people like you that make unique art that's not, you know, that's uh, totally out of the ordinary and odd. And no, as a as a kid, I was always the the kid that grabbed stuff out of the trash and made like houses or race tracks or whatever for my Matchbox cars and my Legos and stuff too. So the whole idea and concept of upcycling, I think the definition may have been around since the '60s or '70s, mm-hmm. but the trend of upcycling, the, the trend of using recycled materials is um you know has gotten hotter over the last 10 years but um for me i mean as a kid of the 70s and 80s i mean that's just how we would make things for our you know to supplement the buildings and the and the racetracks and the just uh garages or whatever for our toys you know yeah. so i was i was i was often i was the one who commandeered all the trash out of the i mean the rubbish out of the trash and just made stuff out of it so it's kind of my roots as a kid and then um you know, along the way, I, you know, my favorite art classes or my, my favorite classes in high school and junior high were always art, were always yeah. shop, were always these hands-on classes. And I simply tolerated all of the other ones like uh, history and math and social studies and yeah. English, everything else I just had to tolerate. I had to make B's and A's so I could keep surfing every day or I'd yeah. be grounded. So that was my motivation in high school is to make good grades, to surf, and then um, then I continued throughout uh, college as well, just t- kind of tinkering around and then kind of post maybe 10 years after graduating from college, after starting a family and stuff, I realized I wanted to jump back into this whole upcycling and folk art thing and just started creating like crazy again. And then I never knew, um, I never knew if I wanted to like turn it into a business or anything, but then just it seemed like over time, half of me was like the, the half of the, what I really enjoy about doing this is the business side. And the other part is the creating side. Yeah. So the last decade I've been bringing my kids into it and we've just been cranking out a ton of work and using different materials and stuff too. So it's been a fun journey looking all the way back to, you know, seven year old Alan Moore back in the seventies, grabbing a paper, you know, paper towel mm-hmm. tube and making something cool to like, yeah, now selling nationally and some of our work going overseas as well so do you have any uh do you have any formal art training in uh college or anything like that no so i mean high school so i, I gotta give props to all my high school you know shop and, and art teachers and stuff like that too but um i studied building construction in college so i work in design and construction management as a full-time career yeah and um, so I think that taught me some, but I mean, I would say we we as a team, as a family team, are primarily self-taught artists. We got a degree or, you know, we're trained or mentored. It was just kind of a, we've taken often taken imaginary imagination first and imagination only approach where it's just like, hey, what can we conjure up in our brains? Um, I think we've gotten tips and ideas from friends and inspiration, of course, from over the years. But yeah. when we first started our bottle cap fish, I, like I said, as a, a kid of the '80s and not a Pinterest kid, I was just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna avoid googling anything about bottle cap art, yeah, and soda can art for an entire year. I like purposely made that my philosophy when we first started making these fish, like eight or nine years ago. And the art, I said, hey, I just want this to be a good 
our own kind of thing. And I've since like passed it on to the kids and they know how to make stuff too. But mm-hmm. I didn't Google anything. I didn't Pinterest anything. I didn't ask any other artists, hey, how would you assemble this bottle cap piece? Yeah. How would you adhere it to wood? How would you chop this thing up? So um, I think I think it's so easy these days to just look at something online and get some ideas and then, then think it's your own where, um, I don't know, I... I I think it's more of a purist approach that, that I've taken to just get this thing started. And then since I've like Google a ton of things uh, and then I have a lot of friends that are bottle cap artists and I've learned a mm. lot about people that have been using bottle caps and art for years in their folk art and other art as well. So we're definitely not the, um, the first ones to do it, but we, we took a very, um, purposeful approach and not, you know, snaking or stealing other people's ideas to get this thing going. So, yeah nice yeah that's probably the best way to do it do, do you consider yourself a, a craftsman at all or is it all art for you you know we our our work is and then you know for people watching either your followers or mine i mean they can see all of our stuff on our instagram page i mean yeah. i view the instagram page as a work of art in and of itself so we try to be really purposeful on how we post things but I mean I found our work since it is using um, trash and um, recycled goods and upcycled goods I find it in between two worlds so there's like your craft world and then there's your fine art world and I found that it's hard for us to get into fine art galleries because it just doesn't match the fine art thing and and the fine art philosophy of most like higher end galleries but we sell in but it's not so crafty that it's just okay I just, um, you know, my kids and I made it together and it took us five minutes to make it. You know, there yeah. is a lot of, you know, skill involved as far as carpentry skills we've developed over time. And then even just the, the type of materials we're using, we go way, way out of our way to just get the coolest, you know, cans and caps from all over the world. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but, so I, 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 don't, I don't know really how to define it. I mean, I think it's both. I think it's a craftsman and an artist because we are, you know, doing, I'm doing carpentry all the time and then passing on that skill to yeah. my kids as well I mean I'm not a carpenter as in like I can't make furniture like I, you don't want to sit on anything that I make because you'll <laughs> probably fall and there'll be a lawsuit you know but yeah. um, but as far as our backdrops over time we've just developed you know a certain way of making our stuff so um, I don't I don't necessarily care what um, you know people call me if they buy yeah. our stuff I'm being called whatever they want so I don't really <laughs> care too much yeah but yeah so, um, is there any specialty tools or anything you use um, that is special to well, you know what what you're what you're making? Any uh, handmade tools, homemade tools, or anything like that? Yeah. So let me get the official quick that I think. So just in case people have just popped on. So this is yeah. a good example of what we just finished. Uh, this is a, a Kona snapper. We rarely use these modern cans. You know, this Kona can that is like a. Um, limited edition flavor that they just came out with. Yeah. Um, but, but so this is a good example of like, okay, there's a wood background on this and then there's um, cans and caps that we've used. So our primary tools for, you know, in order to make the, you know, in, in order to make the background for the art, you know, we're using a table saw, a chop saw, and then a sander primarily. And then, um, you know, as far as cutting the cans, we'll, we'll use tin snips. So these are Craftsman tin snips that we get from Lowe's. They're about 11, 13, 13 bucks, I think. Yeah. So that's the primary way we cut the cans. These 
these cans, someone asked earlier, the cans we get um, from collectors and estates and antique stores. So, and then primarily we get them on eBay. But these are like steel cans from the 1970s. So yeah. this is the old school, like pull tab. Yeah. So all you youngsters, you pull it off. Used yeah. To, yeah, back in the day, and then you would make sure if you were on when we used to go to the beach you'd have to look for these all the time that you wouldn't step on them yeah the other thing you would want to do if you weren't if you were only halfway done with your soda you definitely didn't want to put it in here and then take a sip of your soda and then swallow that thing yeah so so here's a um here's another one sorry mm-hmm. it's, it's right. a little shiny so you pull this right here and you come off like that so so yeah, we uh, we use. I mean, those are kind of our primary tools, and then hammer and nail. So every single um, cap and can is hand nailed onto the board. Um, I've considered using like a um, like a, a nail gun, but it kind of scares me because you're really holding a cap on, and then you know have this yeah. huge you know piece of equipment that's trying to shoot it in. So my my fear is that it would slip. But someone feel free to comment and say, hey, Alan. You know, don't be afraid. You can do it. But um, but also, it's it's another great way for me to help my kids learn how to make the art as well as if yeah. they're just using hand tools versus the power tools. So that's primarily it: hammer, tin snips, chop saw, table saw, sander, and that's about it. When we get into our um, the the flowers that we make, we use a uh, um, a commercial grade hole punch, and then we also use a pop rivet gun. And then, you know, needle nose pliers and stuff like that. So I think combined all of our tools together is less than a thousand bucks. If you get the really good table saw and the really good chop saw. So we have a, um, I just bought the highest end saws because I know I'm going to use them constantly. So we use DeWalt at the brand as our favorite. So it's Mm -hmm. just locally, locally it's convenient to get at the hardware store, but, um, it's, it's a higher end brand. So we, we prefer those. Yeah. Do you have any kind of like form? I know you make a lot of fish and I've seen a couple of, uh, I don't know if you want to call them a steer head or a bull with the horns. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a form that you go by or is is every piece of art unique to uh, to that particular piece? Yeah, so I started out with patterns because I mean, I'm not, I mean, as far as art goes, I'm not really good at just drawing things freehand. Like I, I know what my, where my limitations are as an artist. So um for example, this was the pattern we used for the snappers. So this is actually a pattern I made probably seven years ago for our snappers and have used it ever since. So this is something the kids can easily just put down on the board and then cut up the cans and, um, and do the cap work. And uh, so I, I have one for everything that we make. So I'll, yeah. I'll, show, I'll, I'll show you real quick. Here's, a, here's another one. This is a macaw. So cool. we've uh, teamed up with a restaurant called Bahama Breeze Island Grill. So whenever they do a renovation and uh, or or a new build in the nation, we give them we make them a macaw and we make them a huge snapper, like a huge red stripe red snapper. Hmm. So um, so yeah, so this is the macaw shape for a small macaw that we make, and I'll I'll show you. So these are like all of our patterns that are on the wall. Oh, wow. So it's kind of messy, but you can see a steer there. You can see there's a rooster, but just kind of all layered in there. It's a big, big uh, tuna fish up there, um, cow, cow skull that we'll be seeing. This is we make 
final product. So this is my, we made a ton of fish because we started the business in Colorado, in uh, Florida, yeah. in Colorado. So we make a lot of steers <laughs> and foxes. Um, but, you, but I mean, our bread and butter is still a lot of our tropical stuff. And then we've been using a lot of the scraps that we've been collecting. So over the years and then just making these hearts, that's kind of a new thing for us. Um, Coors is of course big out here. It's right down the road where they brew yeah. Coors. So that's a good example of a, of a a lot of modern caps in there, but the vintage cans are the vintage aluminum ones. And then there's a really cool Coors bottle cap with the Mesa that's in Golden, Colorado. So if you're from around here, that's pretty familiar. And then um, there's another heart right there with a ton of scraps. So this is this is probably 250 plus different soda cans that we've collected over the years. Yeah, we and then alligator. And here's the big steer you were talking about. Yeah, there he is. It's <laughs> a big longhorn. So yeah, so we um, so yeah, there's a pattern pretty much for everything, and then. We'll go off of a, like a photograph of, of either a fish or a cow or a fox that we like and um, kind of grid it out and make just a larger version of it. So, um, so yeah, there's like, like you, you could actually barely see because they're so stacked on top of each other. But there's, if there's a piece we make, like if I only made one salmon ever, yeah. but now I have a salmon pattern for whoever else kind of chimes in and, mm-hmm. and, and wants, a, wants a custom piece. So, right. Mm-hmm. You were saying you have uh, how many bottle caps and cans do you have? So we have. I'll spin this around so you can see part of our collection. Yeah. Um, this is our home studio, by the way. So I actually cleaned it up, but it's really messy still, which is always messy. So I'm not going to apologize for that because it just <laughs> always is. So these are all vintage cans from the 1970s almost all of them and there's some 80s and a handful of aluminum 90 uh, we have about 6,000 cans in stock like I mentioned earlier there's wow. some other cool ones this is hilarious this is actually a dragon aid which is a Gatorade <laughs> ripoff from the 70s which is hilarious so and then with collectors just so you know they keep the tab on top and it's more valuable mm-hmm. so they bottom open stuff with a church key oh okay so that's how that's how you kind of maintain the value of it um this is another cool one. Diet sugar free chocolate fudge soda. For, which sounds, sounds, sounds kind of disgusting. Yeah, it sounds delicious. <laughs> I know. Sh- sugar free. And sh- yeah, especially sugar free, right? So yeah. these are these are and actually this one is one of my favorites. This is uh, uh there was a pop art collection um in France, Holland, Germany cherry coke back in the day and there was some american ones too yeah that's wild in the u.s um that's so killer so these are really really hard to find when i find them i get them shipped in from europe primarily and sometimes canada but they have a whole collection so we don't use those too hot or rare but we uh, as a fish and we'll use those cans we use some cherry coke um, uh, bottle caps. So we keep about, we probably bought three to four million caps over the years and we purchased them because we go through them so quickly. So mm-hmm. there's no time to wait around to drink all that stuff. We don't have friends that drink that much. Um, <laughs> and, you know, bars yeah. only have certain brands. So we've just spent thousands of dollars over the years just finding the coolest caps. And we've gotten them all the way from, you know, South Korea, Thailand, um, wow. Eastern Europe, 
wherever we can find caps. That more more than often, more more than not, they're from the states. But we'll look on eBay and try to find some really cool colors that you can't get in the states. Um, so we've uh, vintage. We probably have about maybe fifteen percent vintage bottle caps and about eighty five percent modern bottle caps. But we're looking for every single color yeah. of the rainbow. So we bought a ton over time, but we have about. Um, 250,000 in stock and then the cans that I showed you earlier we have about 6,000 in stock so those are just the ones on the wall that I showed you and then down in the basement we have these big bins that are full of them sorted by color or sorted by brands depending on what what we need them for so that's kind of our back stock so instead of having a wine cellar here at the Moore household we have a a vintage can cellar (laughs) so that's where all our outdoor gear is and where all the cans are so um, and I'll show you real quick the organization. So uh, a little while back, we bought some really cool bins from Ikea to organize our stuff. It's helped with efficiency. And we used to have our um, in, um, in bins and our bottle caps in these little shoebox bins. Yeah. So it was a little bit more of a pain to get to all of them. but So that's been super helpful. I think we spent about six to seven hundred bucks on that whole system and I, I swear within the first year we'd be probably getting that money back in just efficiency of yeah. access to our materials so in all of this studio you're seeing here is at our house so we have a home studio we um have not quite made the jump to any kind of storefront type setup yeah. um with selling our art we primarily sell two ways one through our studio and people dm us on facebook or um instagram and order custom pieces or they find us online on our website. And then the other way we do it is we team up with um, like higher end gift shops slash galleries and yeah. um, all over the nation. So we've just networked with people over the years of the last 10 years and sell nationally. So we're in California, West Virginia, Florida, Colorado, obviously. Wow. So just a lot of different places. So it's been, it's been, re- I think when we moved out here six years ago, we were selling at one place called the Blue Giraffe in Watercolor, Florida, in the Panhandle. And once we got out here, I just got the itch and the bug, and I'm like, hey, let's expand this thing. So I think we're at like 16 or 17 places now. Wow. And I think I would say 65 to 75% of our income comes from our um, like our partnerships with galleries. So there's a commission split always with a gallery relationship, but it's been worth every penny because of the way we'd, we've been able to expand. And most of these places – unlike fine art galleries are open all the time because there yeah. a lot of them are in town. So they're open 364 or 363, you know, um, open all the time, long hours. So the exposure we have to um, just the world and, and, and the nation has been awesome from partnering up with people. And I, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that artists have, artists have a hard time overcoming is how do I move from selling my stuff on my own and getting all the money into actually giving up some money in order to expand farther? Um, so I think that's a paralyzing decision that often artists will not move forward and um, and 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 will, and will limit themselves, you know, in in a severe way if they don't start thinking outside the box and thinking through, hey, maybe I need to share the profit in order to get exposure to other people in other states. For us, too, it's in Colorado, we're like in eight places here, but the yeah. other eight places are all over the nation. There's no way, even even with the internet, that we can reach all of the people that a shop would reach. Yeah. Um, so I, I see that as one of the most important decisions we've ever made in our business, is just to say, hey, a 50-50 or a 60-40 split is completely worth um, 
you know, with a shop is completely worth, um, you know, expanding our business and, and, and getting that national reach. So we're always, we're always looking at other places. So, yeah. I mean, even during the time of like coronavirus where everybody's kind of halting mm-hmm. and, and not sure what to do with their art business, I'm just thinking through, hey, what are the three or four businesses I'm reaching out to in the fall? when all this thing goes away that we can just continue to network with people. So, and we have probably four or five in the queue that we've been talking to that we are hopefully sending art out to in the spring. And that'll be another gallery we can, um, you know, promote where our work is at. So, yeah. Yeah. They would probably do, uh, they would probably sell pretty well out here in the Cape. I would imagine we're out on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, coastal towns for sure. I, I've just started talking to a dude in um, New York, and he's got a place on the um, on the water where they have a gallery, like a food truck, and they they rent out these rowboats. I can't remember what they're called. Are they called skips or something like that? Yeah. That you, just, I mean, it's a big family business thing, and people come there all the time. So it's just a different coastal town for us because we're from Florida, you know. Yeah. So northeast, it's like we're always looking for opportunities. So. If any of your yeah. friends know places or anybody watching um, likes our, our work, we do commission and wholesale arrangements with galleries. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, yeah. back to talking about the cans and stuff, why not just use new cans and uh, go to a redemption center and just use all new? What, uh, what is, what's the benefit to using the old uh, antiques? I mean, I think I think the benefit is the the rarity, and it, it makes your art um, like like I just showed you the Kona fish. I mean, that was a specific request, so I I went to the liquor store and bought like brand new, you know, cans, yeah. and that's you know that happens, you know, maybe point zero three percent of the time when we make art. But I think the rarity and the nostalgia of the of the antique cans is just is 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 the um, is one of the huge selling points. And it's also another one of those DIY, anti-DIY or anti, um, not anti-Pinterest, but anti-getting all my ideas from Pinterest. I love Pinterest, but getting my ideas from that. So it's really like anybody can go into um, your local grocery store tomorrow, get a bunch of Mountain Dew cans and make something out of Mountain Dew. Not everybody can spend hours and hours and hours on eBay and on can collector sites and track down like the coolest cans you've ever seen from the seventies. So, um, so that's really part of it. And I think that's what sets us apart. And that's what keeps us kind of on the edge of like, okay, you're not just using upcycled materials yeah. or materials that are easy to get. Mm-hmm. It's it, they're, they're not easy to get. And I think that what's, that's what makes the pieces cool. And then there's, there's a, some, a, a, a section of our, or like a, some of our buyers are, you know, getting close to retirement age. So they're in their 60s and 70s and they either run corporations or they're part of big corporations and they have the money to spend. And some of the, some of the pieces are like, oh, yeah, the reason I bought that is because it had a tab can on it. Or the reason that sold me on finally buying it or, going, or, or actually committing to buying it is because my, my grandmother or, or my mom or myself grew up drinking mm. tab. Yeah. So there's a there's a connection with the brand often too. So yeah. when it comes to Coke, when it comes to Coors, um, and some of the other other cans like Crush, I mean it's a it's a nostalgia thing. It kind of takes some people back. Yeah. And the people it's taken back happen happen to be the people that actually have the funds that they can spend on art. Where not not everybody is at that season of life. 
So um, the other thing, too, is they're made out of steel, so they're easier to cut. Aluminum tears pretty easily, so you yeah. have to be more careful with it. And um, it's just an e- it's it's just thick enough that you can um, you know cut it with ten snips really easily. So I it, it's primarily the the nostalgia and then and the whole like that's really really hard to find and it's not a cheap way to um, mm-hmm. craft and build art. It's an expensive way to do it. So that kind of sets us apart as well as we had to be really smart in the first three or four years on how to find the best deals and how to be really smart with our finances when we sold something not to blow it on um sushi dinner with the family which we Mm -hmm. occasionally do but um not to blow this but to continue to invest back into the business so we've we've networked for eight years with buyers i mean with collectors and have just found people that we buy from very consistently and then now we have people that are you actually donating cans because they're like hey i've been collecting for you know, my entire life since my boy, my boyhood collection is from the seventies and, um, it's been in my barn for 30 years. So do you want it? And we're like, yep, we'll take all of it. Yeah. So we, we oftentimes will pay for shipping or we'll help, you know, pay a, a decent price if they're, you know, getting rid of it. Or sometimes people are more than willing to give it to us for free. So, yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds yep. cool. So do yeah. you, do you have any advice for somebody that wants to start a business um, similar to yours, or um, somebody that wants to make a craft, or they already do make a craft and they want to turn it into a business? Um, I would say you just need to start creating and start doing as many shows as possible that you you could get into. Um, I think it's I think it's important to work on your craft and develop actually a product that's pretty nice quality and a consistent look so you can actually brand yourself and people actually know what you're, um, who you are and what you're getting into. And it doesn't mean that you won't evolve over time because if you saw our work from uh, 10 years ago, it's very, very different, vastly different than what it is now. But um, so I would say you just have to dive in and start doing stuff. I would say that for the last 10 years, we've been growing our business and we were painting a lot of trash and making folk art and doing a ton of festivals and trying to get into shops. And um, I think the festival circuit was a great way to get our feet wet and meet a lot of people. Um, we happened to live in a area in Florida that was a high-end tourist town. So there was people with um, money to blow and, um, and a lot of op- just opportunities down there on the beach to sell our work. Um, so it was just starting to create something that is a consistent product quality. Obviously you don't want it in the owner's hands and then it falls apart within the first year because that would be embarrassing, whether it's functional art like furniture or, or pottery, you don't want someone drinking their coffee out of the, the, um, the mug that you just sold them and then it breaks within a month. So quality is really important. Understanding and kind of having a brand I think is important too. Um, and, um, just trying it. So, like I said, we've been doing this for a decade, and I would say the first three years were extremely experimental. And um, the first three years are a perfect time not to get discouraged when things go awful and to celebrate very big when things go well. Um, so it's it's super important to to make sure that um, that that you have a really, really positive attitude, like during the entire process. So, um, I'm trying to think of what else would I give advice to 
younger artists and younger creatives. I would also say just follow people. I mean, get on Instagram and follow as many people as possible who you really appreciate their craft. And um, I remember one of the very first art shows that we went to, we were next to a very, very seasoned artist. And Lori and I were up in Atlanta setting up our tent and trying to sell our work and just talking to her in casual conversation between um, people coming into our booth was just an amazing learning experience so if you can connect either through dm or on um, instagram live or any way with an artist who's done it for a while and um especially on the bad days that you have someone who could be your cheerleader and kind of get you pumped up um, for the next experience the next art artistic experience or project um sometimes you need a mentor to talk sense into you if you come up with an idea or a show you want to do and they can if your primary goal is to make money, they can really coach you and whether you're actually going to make money at that event or it's better to do it for publicity or for just kind of getting your work out there. So um, I network with people that have been doing art the same amount of time as I've been doing. I network with people who um, have been doing art for years and years and years. And I also look to the young folk out there, which is a lot of y'all, to um, keep me fresh and keep me... Um, on the cutting edge of what's going on so as a 45 year old i didn't grow up with a cell phone even in college and i had a computer that had a, like a nine inch screen and um cost like three thousand dollars i think it was a texas instruments in college so social media i think the temptation for older people is to leave social media behind and just say hey that's not the way i did it back in the day but um i feel like i learned from my 20 something friends all the time on how to create an art business, keep an art business going, how to get the word out there on um, who we are as a business. But, um, yeah, absolutely, man. I, I definitely appreciate like I mentioned before. I really appreciate what you're doing. Cause I mean, there's, I think that the more ways we as creatives can get out there and get exposure, the better. Um, I'm a big fan of diversifying the way, um, artists get out there and connect with people so social media obviously a, a strong website um press um the podcast thing is new for me so i look forward to you know connecting with you more and kind of seeing where it expands from there and then um so yeah the the, the more we can get the, the word out um about how we create and, what, and what's really behind the instagram feed i think is like super important so i appreciate what you're doing for sure yeah, thank you so much, and I appreciate you, and uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity because you have uh, you have a lot of followers, so I'm hoping that'll draw some attention to it, and it'll just kind of uh, snowball from there. I hope for everybody that's a creator and a maker. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd encourage everybody who's watching this, anybody who follows us, to follow what Matt's doing. Um, like I said, it's super valuable. It's, it's just one of many ways that people are helping artists get their work out there and, and we need we need all the help we can get so so matt when you and the family decide to come out to denver we can host you here at the house and then we can do some art classes together and then uh it'd be really fun to um head up to the mountains and get some hiking in or some skiing depending on what season you come out and then um, i'd love to introduce you to a lot of our friends too because we have some odd odd odd, an odd group of friends that do some odd cool stuff that will be perfect on your odd people podcast for sure great thank you so much and if you ever want to come down to cape cod you're more than welcome to come and hang out with oh, us yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> great man sounds awesome sounds like a good plan all right man cool i'll talk to you soon thanks dude all right thanks alan
Well, I hope you found that interesting. Uh, to see the Moore Family Folk Art, you can visit them online at themorefamilyfolkart.com. Check them out on Facebook or Instagram by their company name. Uh, Alan is a great guy, and he and his family are making some high-quality, unique art. So really, you should really check them out. It's very interesting what they do. Uh, I'm sure you'll hear him again in the future. Uh, he's been really great um, communicating back and forth. Uh, so make sure to follow the show on Instagram. It's at Odd People Podcast and Facebook. You can uh, see what's happening with past guests if you uh, join the Facebook group. Uh, you can send uh, me DMs, messages on Instagram or Facebook uh, to reach me via email. I have oddpeoplepod at gmail.com. It's a new email. I just got it. <laughs> so it makes a little more sense than the old one. And uh, as always, stay inspired, stay home, and stay odd.